This morning, my message I titled, Preserve Me. And actually, it's just the scripture. I'm just using the words that I found in this psalm. You know, the psalms are such a wonderful place to go to find joy, to find hope, to find peace. Because there are many that are in hopelessness. There are many that are walking around in the world today in our neighborhoods and workplaces. They, they don't have hope. They don't have hope because all they know is this life. They don't know that which is to come. But when you could go to the Psalms, I'll tell you, the Psalms will just lift your spirit. There's so much joy and so much hope to be found in the Psalms. I'm going to read from Psalm 16, verses 1 through 11. And I read that last week to give you a little preview. Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. That is so vital. Because it is only in Him that we should put our trust. We should not put our trust in man. I know that, you know, we all know people that are very trustworthy. But sometimes even the most trustworthy person will let you down. That's right. There's only one that I can guarantee you will never let you down. And that is Jesus Christ, the Son and the Father. They will never let you down. Put your trust in them. Put your hope in them. Verse 2, O oh, my soul, you have said to the Lord, You are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because He is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. My friends, let that sink in for a moment. My flesh will rest in hope. How does our flesh rest in hope? Well, we're going to get into that this morning. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen. Amen. And may God add His blessings to the hearing and the reading of His holy word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank You and praise You that when we come to You, that we can find peace, that we can find hope, that we can find joy. Father, that we can find rest for our weary souls. But Father, it's more than just rest here and now. But Father, that we can find that rest for eternity. Father, I pray that Your name will be lifted high today, that You would be exalted. Father, that You would speak to our hearts the words that we need to hear today. And Father, may we use it for Your glory and for Your honor. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. In His presence is the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. This psalm that I just read to you was, has a title above it. At least in my Bible, I'm not sure if every version does. It's given the title, A Mictom of David. The title is found in six psalms altogether, counting this one. And some translate that word, that miktom, to mean 
golden or precious. The root word meaning to stamp or to engrave on a durable tablet or even a stone to preserve it. So what does that mean for us today as we read this? That means that this psalm is as precious as gold. It is worthy to be engraved. It's worthy to be preserved. For that generation, for every generation in between, for us, and for those to come, this is a very precious psalm. Now we know for certain that the author of this psalm is David. But there is a little bit of uncertainty of about whom he is speaking of in this psalm. You know, as you read it, it says, O Lord, you are my portion, or the portion of my inheritance. My flesh will rest. Is he speaking of himself? As I searched out a number of commentaries on this, and many of them, some of them believe that the entire psalm is referring to Christ. Some say, though, that it is David. Some say, well, some of them refer to David, and some of them refer to Christ. And you can read that, and you may have your own opinion. And your opinion may differ from mine. But I tend to believe that some of it is referring to David, and some of it is indeed referring to Christ. Verse 10. I believe verse 10, part of it refers to David, and part of it, I am sure, refers to Christ. Verse 10 said, For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, or in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Now how many here believes that King David is still walking around this earth or that he's been resurrected? And he's bodily resurrected? Right, I didn't, see, I didn't think I'd see a hand go up. We know that King David died, he was buried. We know that his body saw that corruption that happens to a body that remains in the grave for some time. However, Christ Jesus' body did not see corruption. He did not see corruption. He did not see that corruption that happens to a body that's in a grave for a long period of time. That's why he only needed a borrowed tomb. Because he knew he was only going to be there for a very short time. So I truly believe that at least the last part of this verse absolutely applies to Jesus Christ. In Acts, we will see where the... They are speaking of the psalmist referring to Christ in this passage. In Acts 2, 25-28, says, For David says concerning Him, meaning Christ, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for He is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoices, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full, in, full of joy in your presence. You know, I know that it is important that we understand whom, to whom a verse is speaking of. You know, we should search it out and try to know that whether or not it's speaking of David or whether it's speaking of Christ. But I think equally important, brothers and sisters, is that we know to whom this passage is speaking to. Not speaking of, but speaking to. You follow me? Amen. Well, and I am absolutely certain that it is speaking to us. It is speaking to you and I. Because this is a golden passage of Scripture. 
We have joy. We can have the joy. We can have the hope of resurrection. But I know that the Scripture is giving to us. How do I know that? Because 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So who was Psalm 16 given to? All. That the man of God, the woman of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. It's given to instruct every believer, to help us understand, to understand that we have hope. Because that's what this entire passage is about in Psalms. It's hope. It's a hope that this is not all there is. There's a vital key that we need to ask ourselves too, though, about the Scripture. We must ask ourselves, do I believe that all of God's Word is true? That's a serious question. Do you believe that all of God's Word is true? Do I believe that all of God's Word is true? Do you believe that it is inspired by the Holy Spirit? You don't have to raise your hands. You can just say it in your heart. Do you believe that it is truly inspired by God? Do you believe it to the point that you can place your entire trust, your entire being in the author of it? A lot of questions, right? I believe the soundness of one's faith rests on whether or not they believe with all of their heart that this Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And here's why I say that. If someone claims to be a Christian and says, well, I don't believe all the Scripture is true, then they're going to question whether it's given by the Holy Spirit. They're going to question the virgin birth. They're going to question the resurrection. They're going to question the creation story. You think, well, that's nuts. Well, it's nuts that there are people out there that claim to be a Christian, yet say they believe in evolution. The two do not go together. You either believe God or you don't believe God. You believe it's the inspired Word of God or you don't believe it. Those that say, well, maybe it's not all true. Those are the ones that are going to say, well, he didn't really mean to say that. That's not really what God meant. Yes, if His Word says it, it is true. It is faithful. There are the ones who will say, well, you know, God is love. Surely God's not going to condemn me for this one little sin. No. You condemn yourself when you're not walking in His ways and living in sin, practicing sin. You condemn yourself. They don't understand, fully understand, the truth of God, the Word of God. I find it quite amazing that here's David in the Psalms speaking about something, my friends, that had never happened before. A resurrection lasting for eternity. Yes, there had been some that were raised from the dead. We know that the prophets prayed for various people and they were raised from the dead. But none were raised to die no more. You listening? Yes, the prophets prayed over a young child, brought him back to life, presented him back to his mother. But none were raised to die no more. And David is speaking of this. That's what he's speaking of. Not just raised from the dead to live for a while longer. Lazarus was raised from the dead. We know Jesus did that. But he died, he died again. 
David is speaking of a resurrection unto eternity, for all eternity. He fully trusted God. Fully. He's not just thinking of Christ, he's thinking of his own resurrection here. He's speaking of it. But David, my friends, is not the first to mention a resurrection unto eternal life. One of the, what's believed to be one of the oldest books of the Bible, mentions the resurrection. The book of Job. Also, the book of Daniel. I want to share a couple. Job 19, verses 25 through 27. Job says, For I know that my Redeemer lives. My friends, God has always intended to redeem us and make a way, right? I know that my Redeemer lives, and He shall stand at last on the earth. Job's speaking of Christ coming to earth. And he says, And after my skin is destroyed, he's speaking of after I die, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. My friends, that did not mention the word resurrection, but if you don't understand that as resurrection, well, I better read it again. Because after, I, after my skin is destroyed, after I pass away, I know this. Job's saying, I know this in my being, I know this in my heart, that in my flesh I shall see God. So what's that speaking of? A bodily resurrection. The bones, yeah, they're going to deteriorate and the bones will be there, but there's coming a day, there's going to be that resurrection of that body. And what do we know we'll be like? We'll be like Him. Because when Christ was raised for the grave, He had flesh on His bones, Right? Because the disciples saw Him, they recognized Him, they was able to touch Him. Thomas put his hands on his side and touched his hands where the nails pierced his hands. So we shall be like Him. There will be a resurrection. And Job knew this. Job believed it. That was his hope in the resurrection. Daniel says, chapter 12, verse 2, Many of them sleep in the dust of the earth, Many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth. I missed a word. The dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Job and Daniel are not referring to some vague immortality of the soul taught by pagan religions, but they're talking about the resurrection of the body. Made new. In the flesh we shall see God. Hallelujah. Does that stir you? I hope. I better stir a little more if it doesn't. Psalm 16, 1 and 2 said, Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, You are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. Hebrew meaning to preserve means to place a hedge about, to protect, to save. David trusted the Lord God with every aspect of his being. All that was within him, he trusted God. He trusted Him for the here and now. He trusted them for protection in this present situation that he would find himself in. But he also trusted Him for the future. He trusted Him for eternity. For eternal salvation. Preserve me. It's more than just keep me safe while I'm here on this earth. But it's preserve me for all eternity. Do you trust Him for all eternity? 
Do you trust Him with your eternal soul, your eternal salvation? Do you trust Him that you shall be resurrected and you will see Him with your own eyes? That's where we all need to be. Where we cry out from our souls, Lord, You are my Lord, and my goodness is nothing apart from You. There's another passage that says that our righteousness is as filthy rags before Him. It's His goodness in us to have hope. We must have something to look forward to, right? Amen. David looked forward to that. He had hope. Job looked forward to that. He had hope. Daniel spoke of it. Look forward to that. We have hope. My friends, there's a lot of people walking around in hopelessness. They need to know about Jesus Christ Amen. to have hope in their lives. Parade Magazine shared a story about a self-made millionaire named Eugene Lang. And he greatly changed the lives of a classroom of sixth graders in East Harlem. Lang had been asked to speak to a class of 59 sixth graders. What could he possibly say to inspire these students, knowing that most of them would probably drop out of school? He wondered how he could get these predominantly black and Puerto Rican kids even to look at him, let alone listen to him. So scrapping these notes, he decided to speak to them from his heart. And he shared much with them and spoke how important it was that they stay in school. And he admonished them, I will pay for your college tuition for every one of you if you stay in school. At that moment, the lives of these students were changed. For the first time, they had hope. Said one student, I had something to look forward to. Something waiting for me. It was a golden feeling. Nearly 90% of that class went on to graduate from high school. Way different than the odds of most. You know, many are born into poverty. Many are born there. They have little hope of getting out of that situation. This was a golden opportunity for them to change that, to break that cycle, to change their lives. How did I describe Psalm 16? As precious as gold. It is precious as gold. If just having the hope of going to college could make that much difference in 90% of a classroom of 6th graders, how much greater hope that we have to share with the world? How much greater hope? That's just getting, out of the, getting them kids out of the situation in this world. But we have the hope for all eternity. Amen. We have it. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all, all men the most pitiable. Now didn't that just lift your spirits there? No, it didn't, did it? No. Because it's telling us if, if it's just this life, it is a pitiable thing because... Brothers and sisters, this life goes by very quickly. As we was at that praise and worship service, it was like on the screen and some of it was just like the world zipping by. I'm like, that's how fast life goes. Because it would be a pitiful thing if this was all there was. So you know how, what did Paul Harvey always say? And now, the rest of the story. So I will share a little more from 1 Corinthians with you. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 through 23. And if Christ is not risen... Your faith is futile. 
you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now, my friends, that two wonderful words. But now, Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterwards those who are Christ at His coming. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! You know, Mr. Lang may have paid for the college tuition of all that class, that entire class of those that graduated. But Jesus Christ paid for our salvation. He paid the price that we could have eternal life. I know it's wonderful for kids to get out of a situation and go to college to be delivered from a hopeless situation. But my friends, the most important thing is we are delivered from this hopelessness of only this life to all eternity. David had the hope of the resurrection. And if a man who had committed adultery, a man who had literally committed murder, could repent and find hope for eternal life, then anyone can. It's for anyone. Anyone who will believe on Him. Anyone who would repent of their sins. They can have that hope of eternal life. They can have that joy. Be delivered from hopelessness. David said, My goodness is nothing apart from you. Our goodness, again, is nothing apart from Jesus Christ. Christ is our hope. And in Him, we will find fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. You know, as those sixth graders, and many even today, I'm sure, are living in poverty. But you know what is a shame? That there are so many today living in spiritual poverty. There are many wealthy people out there that are living in spiritual poverty. They're walking in hopelessness and do not even know it because they're looking for the pleasures of this world to satisfy. But it's never going to satisfy. The only hope we have is in Jesus Christ and nothing else. There was a third century man that was anticipating death and he penned these last words to a friend. He said, It's a bad world out there, an incredibly bad world. But I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they do not care. They are masters of their soul. They have overcome the world. These people are the Christians, and I am one of them. He says, I am one of them. You know, better is one day in his house than a thousand elsewhere, right? It's a beautiful song. Better is one day in God's house than a thousand upon the most pleasurable place upon this earth today. But you know what? As I read that, the sad thing, it is kind of like it's almost a secret. But friends, it's not a secret. We're not supposed to keep it a secret. We're supposed to shout it from the housetop. We're supposed to, let, supposed to let our light shine. Let it shine bright. Because there are many out there that need this hope. The hope that we know about. The hope that we find in Christ. For He is the way, the truth, and the life. 
There is no other way. There is no other way but the narrow path, which is Jesus Christ. There are many who want to convince you there's many ways, but there is not. There's only one way, and that is Jesus. You know, so think about our nation and the situation that our nation finds itself in today. You know, I guess I'll get into the political. All this place about the wall, you know, this whole deal about the government shutdown, it's all centered on one thing, a wall. A wall. Why do we need the wall? You know, they're saying we need the wall to keep evil out. But here's the problem. Be- only because of a need is the only reason all those drugs and all that stuff come across the border. My friends, what we need is revival. What we need is repentance in this nation. This isn't part of my message, but I don't know why. He just gave it to me. That's what we need in this nation. You cut off the need, it won't come across the border. You won't need no wall. It's a spiritual thing more than a natural thing. The only reason they're coming across here with their drugs and their evil violence is because there's a want for it in this nation. We need delivered from that. That's what we truly need. That's the, only, that's the hope that we should want and have. That we as a nation would turn from the drugs. That we would turn from all that evil and wicked stuff. There's no need for it. They're not going to bring it across. They say there's no sense going to America because we ain't going to sell this stuff over there because they don't want it. Right? Amen? Come on, that's what we need. We need repentance and revival more than we need a wall. A wall separates and divides. I understand. He thinks it's, they think it's for protection. But it's more a spiritual thing than a natural thing. The hearts of the men and women of this nation need to get right with God. I don't think God's in favor of walls. I know a lot of these old cities in the Bible had walls for protection. and So I'm not even going there. But He's more concerned about hearts. It's hearts. Hearts is what He's concerned about, friends. And them being right with Him. And having hope. So let that be our prayer. That His Spirit will work, move across this land in a way that we have not experienced it in our lifetime. That it will bring men and women, young people, to their knees and repent and ask God to deliver them from the hopelessness that they find themselves in. That's why many are on these drugs. They're looking for hope. Well, they're looking in the wrong place. They need to look to Jesus. They give their lives to Him. And a revival swept across this land. I truly don't think we'd need that wall. Because it would dry up. The source, it would dry up because we wouldn't need it. That wasn't part of my message. That just came. But that's what we need. We need to let the light shine. We need to pray like we've never prayed before. Because we are in a desperate situation as a nation. But do we know in here that it's desperate enough that we get on our knees and pray? Or however you want to pray. Pray. Pray that the hope of Jesus Christ will be revealed to many in this land. That's that's putting it as simple as it can get. They need hope. And we have it. We know what it is. Let's don't keep it a secret. Let's let that light shine.
Let's reach out. Let's pray for. Let's be faithful to Him.